You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. David Kirk Philp, along with Dr. Esteban. Marconi Emeritus. That's right. Retiring very soon, so he will be Emeritus in the Americas forever, and we are on Brave New Radio. We're very happy to have everybody listening to us and with us today, and we have a great guest with us today. Her name is Cabrea, and she is uh, the director of SYNC for Downtown Music. Hello, Cabrea. Hi. How's it going? Never better. Never better. And Cabrera is here because of Tyler Buchanan, who recently graduated from the Popular Music Division. All right, congratulations. Wayne Patterson, congrats, thank Tyler. Thank you, thank you so much. And Tyler has Cabrera here because it's part of a summer class that we do in which we get, uh, it's a, a Nashville class. We're supposed to be in Nashville talking to people, but instead we brought Nashville to us because of the COVID and the cancellation. So uh, Tyler's job was to connect with somebody who interested him in the field of music in which uh, was most interest to him. So Cabrea is within sync licensing. So Tyler um, is into that concept. So we're gonna talk a lot about that today. Uh, before we do that real quick, we just want to make sure that our listeners are going to musicbiz101wp.com, sign up for our newsletter so that you are always aware of when this is available as a podcast and for all our other shows. Follow us at musicbiz101wp on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and of course the podcast available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Marconi, should we give one quick thanks? One. One. We'll give thanks to the folks at Bandine, Bruno Inc. at White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you are ready. Remember, yeah. listeners, that the University of William Patterson, our music business program, has been ranked by a fellow named Bill Board as one of the best in the world. Three years in a row, four out of six years, a winning percentage of 660. So, Cabrea, now you know everything about us. We hope you're excited to right. appear on this awesome radio show. Tyler, do you want to give a quick um, intro to Cabrea and then start with your third degree? 
well, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, as we know, you're you're the director of Sync at Downtown, and I kind of just I know we're we're close on time, so I kind of just wanted to to jump right in. I think most people would hopefully know what Sync licensing is already. You know, pairing music to video and TV, movies, commercials, all that. So, um, if you could, I guess quickly, we could do you know who you are and what you do on a daily basis and how you got to where you are. And then after that, I'll probably dive in a little deeper on deeper questions on sync. Yeah, of course. Um, so thanks for having me guys. Um, I, my name is Cabrera Casey. I've been at downtown music publishing for over five years now uh, on the sync licensing and marketing team. Um, I would say mostly what my job is, is promoting our catalog and finding opportunities and negotiating those opportunities for sync licensing, whether that's radio, film, TV, ads, video games, um, it goes across all mediums and it's always ever changing with the digital age. Uh, I mostly focus on ads and brands uh, because I'm in New York and that's where a lot of the advertising agencies are and most of our film and TV and trailer work goes out of our LA office. I'm actually on a global team of 14. There's 14 of us that work creatively with the catalog and then in addition to that we have a licensing team that uh, handles some of the most of the negotiations as well as papering the licensing and tracking and dotting all the i's and all that um so yeah it's 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 been an incredible journey i actually didn't know what sync licensing was until i interviewed for my job and 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 kind of found out through downtown music. Um, I actually interviewed for an office manager position at downtown music publishing before an assistant position opened up on the sync licensing team. And then that's kind of, I ended up getting that job and then I've been able to grow with the company um, there. So, so it's definitely, it, it is a niche. I think, I think more people understand what it is now and you know, you have your favorite TV shows and your favorite films and people have name recognition with super like music supervisors, such as like Alex Basavis. And um, so I definitely think there is a collective knowledge of what we do, but it's still, you know, I, I didn't know what it was when I was graduating college. Um, and then kind of finally, was like, Oh, that, that sounds really interesting. I was a film student. Um, I was a film sure. producing man major and then didn't want to move to LA <laughs> and um, loved music and actually got an internship and then started working at a music venue and then kind of carved out my path from there. So I guess leaning more into how you landed the job, I would ask, because most people have, most publishers have a like a business marketing sync team and a creative sync team. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what are the criterias to get into each of those and the differences between the two? Yeah, um, so that's evolved uh, specifically at Downtown Music Publishing. Um, I can only really tell you within that atmosphere, but um, so the way we kind of divvy it up is there's the creative side and we're the people that, we're almost the sales team, if that makes sense. So we're, we have, and we build relationships with music supervisors or anyone that's licensing music, whether it's a brand, an ad agency, a music house, an independent freelancer. Um, and so it's our job to build and maintain those relationships, seek new people that we can be talking to, make sure that they're calling us up anytime they want to license music so that we can at least have one of our songs in the ring for every opportunity that's out there. And then, and then once, you know, they pick our song, um, that then gets kicked off to the more operations licensing team. 
um, that's administrative. And so they're the ones that are drafting the licenses, um, ironing out the terms, and handling the end of the negotiations. That's also the team that um, handles our influx of passive uses that comes in. So, um, you know, if it's not something that I brought in and this person in Illinois is working on independent film, they reach out to our licensing team to get a license for that, um, for whatever song that they want. And they, they did their own research and realized that we have a percentage or a, a representation in that song. Um, and so they're the ones that field all of those. And then if it's someone that we don't have a relationship with yet, then that's how we, okay, we'll loop in creative and then we'll try and build build our relationship with them and, and maybe get more syncs down the line. Um, but so there, there is a distinction. Uh, we work very closely together, of course, because anything that I bring in, you know, once I loop in the licensing team and they kind of take it from there, um, which has been, it's really great. It's, it's a, a nice community and I've learned a lot from our licensing team and because they see everything that comes in and it's really, you know, the negotiation and, and fees, they've changed so much over the years and everything's really subjective. I, working in ads, especially, um, it's not as cut and dry as TV might be. So a TV, there's, there's a background use or there's the end title use. An end title use is gonna be worth more than a background use. But with ads, you know, it could be any number of terms. It could be, this is going to be living online for two months worldwide, and it's only going to be on TV in Florida, or it's going to be on TV for six months in the US with a small run on online. So the, like, we honestly have to sometimes just talk back and forth with the licensing team and kind of figure out what that license is worth. Um, and we have to take into consideration a lot of things. Will this take this out of the running, this song out of the running for any other licenses during this time? Um, how much do we usually make in sync income for that song? If it's, if it's like a hit song or, or something we've licensed a lot, it has a big history. Or is it a brand new song? And we know the label and the artist really wants any traction on it. And so we might be willing to give a better deal just to get more eyeballs on the song and then, and then lead to more sync licensing and more success for that artist or writer. Um, can so I, can I, as can far I ask as, you a quick, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just a quick question about that because you're talking about all this. Are you just dealing in, in this part? Maybe I, I just missed. Are you just dealing with the catalog in which you own 100% of the song, of the publishing of the song? Or, because there's so many songs now, like when you talk about it's mm -hmm. six writers, six different publishers. So how are you juggling all of that? Yeah, so I work with every song that we have, even if we have 5% of a song, um, I can pitch and license on behalf of that 5%. Um, and then we, we also have a hundred percent. We have, you know, we have a lot of songwriters that are also artists that write all their music. Um, we have writers that write music for sync, uh, and might, and might send that over as a hundred percent. But a lot of what we do is, is these portions of hit songs or, um, this writer collaborated with that. I mean, that's, what's so great about working at a publisher is, you know, we might have sign a writer that's writing with three different artists and then you have three different songs on the charts. In, that are very different and you can be working with a wide range of things as opposed to something very specific to one artist project do you see like like a competition like if like you said earlier if you if you license a really popular song is it like off the market for any other movie to take that you know in like the same month or two month period or something like that so some licenses will require exclusivity 
and at least in the ad space what that means is is the ad will say i want exclusivity for the brand category so if it's a mobile phone if it's t-mobile then they're going to want exclusivity while that ad is running um from all the other from samsung and apple phones and and all that um that can be built into the license even if it's not built into the license at least in the ad space specifically brands brands aren't going to touch it if it's a competitor is using a song during that license and and we i've absolutely had things fall through because you know um one brand license a song five years later another brand wants to license it but that brand feels that that um the previous licensor is a, a competitor and they don't want to use the song um so it all depends and then some people don't care and especially if it's a really big song then it's like you know whatever this is going to run for two months and we want to tap into the cultural clout of this song right now and if a car and a credit card are using it at the same time they might not see that as a problem it just all depends on what what the brand wants to do and um with films i think it's a little bit different because there's not as much direct competition and when we license something for a film it's typically in perpetuity so that film will always live with that song and so you can't we would never grant exclusivity for a film for perpetuity because that just takes that song out of the running forever okay um do, do you guys see more indie than hit songs or is it a good mix or is there any sort of balance there it's a mix it's definitely a mix i think when it so ads what i would say is our biggest revenue for sync it brings in the most amount of money because of those big hit licenses mm -hmm. um that are the five six figure licenses as far as quantity it's more indie music um so you get a lot more licenses but for a lot less money um which and then they both kind of even out in a way um but i would say the hit songs you know what we're looking at what can make the difference between one year and another is a big hit song it's when we license motley crew for a super bowl spot that is going to make such a big difference in our numbers and for the company than you know 10 licenses from independent artists right okay but um, we see both as I think, I mean, especially the way I look at it, I think both, both are important. And those 10 licenses or that one license for an indie band can bring them from here to, sorry, from the, it can make them step, have a step up in their career. Um, and it can, you know, give them more viewership, better audience, more recognition, and it can also lead to more syncs too. That's, that's the other thing. It's like, it works on one song and for one brand, another brand that's not a competitor might say, oh, I want to license that one too. Um, and it just makes them ban more money. And it's those indie artists that need the money, I guess, right, right. the most. Yeah. yeah. So where do, um, where do like composers fall into the mix? Are they like a competition for you? Like do music supervisors go straight to composers or do you license for them? Yeah. So, uh, in the ad space, there's, there's absolutely a business for, um, compose work for higher composers and there are a lot of music houses that do both where they an ad agency might go to the music house and have them have one of their composers compose something original for the brand and then the brand owns it it's a work for hire um they also a lot of music houses will do supervision so i still work with them all the time and consider them a client of ours uh, our composers and what i'm fine so because we're a publisher we we do work with composers and so if you want 
you know, Santa Gold to write a song for your ad as Santa Gold, you have to come to us. And more brands are willing to give up the owning of the copyright to have the cultural clout of an artist writing the song original. So that's kind of, so we do tap into that world. Uh, it's just, it's just a little bit different. You know, if a brand wants to own a piece of music and wants someone to create it, they're going to go to a music house and we're not interested in that. And we're not really interested in that business. But if a brand wants something original, I worked on something where um, White Denim, which is this band from Austin, Texas, uh, we licensed one of their existing songs for Nintendo. And then they loved it so much that like, would they write something for us for, for the next one? We said, absolutely, but if you want their name on it and we're a publisher, they have to keep all the publishing and they're like, that's totally fine. So we definitely see it a little bit more now, but it usually is attached to, they want an artist or some sort of name composer to write the song and they can tap into that cultural clout and, and thus giving up owning the music and the copyright for their ad. For that white denim deal, did they, did the uh, video company call you or was that an outgoing pitch from you to the video game company? That was something where we were working with the agency and because the agency and the brand felt that the first license was so successful with a song that was from their album, they kind of brought up, hey, do you think that they would be interested in this? And we said, absolutely. And then um, kind of went back and forth with the revision process and, and then had the guys write it. So it was kind of a mix, um, but it did come from the agency kind of asking that additional question. And what we're always trying to do is we have a lot of writers, especially right now, because a lot of people are home in their studios that are absolutely willing to create original music. Um, it's just about catching them at the right time in their tour in their lives and and so that's definitely something that i found especially in maybe the past three years that a lot more artists are interested in creating originals and that goes for film and tv as well um not just ads we're seeing more and more of it all over the spectrum i know you guys are a big publisher but are you do you make like a lot of active efforts still to make your catalog known to new clients like what is your process of searching out new clients that's a good question so there's a lot of different ways um you know sometimes with a brand new client uh if you're going into an agency and they, there's a new head of music production that you haven't met yet um we might use our hit songs or our more recognizable artists as a a, a shoe into the door and also say, but you know, we have a range on our roster and we can work for many different budgets and ad types or, or things like that. We also, you know, in pre-COVID times, uh, I spent a lot of my time taking music supervisors and licensors and anyone from a brand to shows to, to see live music. Cause I think that's the best way to get someone to actually really listen to the music and walk away knowing it. And then they might, you know, want to work with them later. Um, we also throw showcases uh, every once in a while. We have marketing mailers that we send out uh, to the music community. Um, it's kind of, there's just, there's a lot of different ways. Uh, there's the more subtle and, you know, come to the show. And then there's also just, hey, can I have a meeting? Here's a bunch of our music. Um, it all depends. And I think downtown music publishing has grown its brand. I mean, especially since I've been there, 
um, we've really become like a, a, a big player in the ind independent publishing world. And so there is a lot of name recognition, at least in the US for us. Um, and, and even more, like globally, it's, we're getting more recognition as well. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I've heard about those showcases, but I'm not really sure what they are. Could you talk about those a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it can be anything. I think, especially in the film and TV world, we might have um, a songwriter come in, go to a studio and perform a few songs for people in that office. We do that at ad agencies too. I think it's sometimes harder to get a direct license out of something like that, but it is a really good way to build recognition of a upcoming artist with within that company within those brands i've done um i threw something for halloween with a music house we partnered up and we had um this uh band heinz who are from madrid um they dressed up as the beatles and we threw a halloween party and they performed for people so we've done things like that i i did a showcase with rye um who is a, a canadian artist from toronto who lives in la now um but we had him we kind of did a cocktail party and we had a bartender come in and create three signature cocktails with rye whiskey for each song. And we kind of, we played the songs and then had a dialogue, um, which I moderated with Michael Milos and it was just this big dinner party and anyone could ask him questions. And I felt that like that was probably, that was my favorite showcase I've ever been on. And I think it had the most lasting effect and, and people that were there really enjoyed it and felt like they learned more about the album and they got to know him and his creative process. And I think it really resonated with everyone that was there. So it can be a number of things. Gotcha. gotcha. It's just creative ways to get people to come out and listen to the music and walk away um, actually getting something out of it. And it means that they'll be thinking of them when the next project comes around and it's top of mind. Mm -hmm. Could I ask a quick question going back to portions of songs? Yeah. Because um, just sort of how you do it up. So if, let's say you, you own 5% of a song and you want to, but it's, it's a good song, it's a hit song or something that resonates with you. Are you going to the four or five other publishers and saying, listen, I'm pitching this to, to, to The Gap or, or which is probably going out of business, you know, to Jeans or just some brand? Um, so don't do it so that we aren't stepping on each other. How are you communicating with the other publishers representing the other portions of that song? So usually the communication comes after a supervisor is interested. So I pitch the song and then they come back and they say, hey, I really like this song. Do you think it'll work for X amount of money for X amount of terms? And then we absolutely, you know, sometimes work together with the publisher to figure out what's going on. Sometimes we don't, it all depends. Um, usually I think there's kind of this understanding that, you know, if a major's on it and they have the majority, we'll kind of see what they quote. Um, Cause they're gonna, what, it doesn't matter what we quote, they're gonna, they might overquote us or right. it all depends. I think um, as far as, multiple people pitching the same song to the same person for a hit song that's never seen as a problem to us because sometimes that's what it takes for that to push it over to the license because that supervisor might say okay three people sent me this hit song so now i know that at least th these three publishers are cool with this budget range i gave them and they might feel more confident to then push that to the client okay and then um Let's say, so it's, if it's through an agency and five companies have the publishing, the agency knows they're cutting a check to five different companies mm -hmm. publishing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And obviously they're 
if they're getting the master, there's the one check to who, whomever owns the master as well. Yeah, okay. yeah. And, yeah, and when we're negotiating um, the license, when it gets to the point where the supervisor's interested and they're gonna present it to the client as this is exactly how much it's gonna cost, what they do is they go out to all the rights holders and get a number from all the rights holders and the way we quote is everything's MFN, which means most favored nations. So that means if I say something's going to cost $50,000 and someone else says it's only going to cost $40,000, the client will then say, okay, we can afford 50. And then that means everyone on the publishing and the master is going to be 50, 50. And then it's prorated from there based on the um, percentage that each person has. Sure. So it's always going to be most favored. So because I quoted less than someone else, if, if that's what it gets cleared at, then we're still going to get that amount of money. If that makes sense. It's kind of, yeah. In, in a way it's, it's a positive thing just because if you do under, under quote, you know, what the market value at this point in time is for that song, you almost have a buffer in that maybe it's mm -hmm. the master, you know, recording owner, um, because of MFN, um, is going to say, no, no, it's worth this, and you're going to get it anyway. So that's yeah. kind of a neat thing that's built into your part of the industry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we talked to an agency last week, and okay. we were asking them, um, if what if they can't find one of the publishers? You know, if six publishers own a song, and they can get in touch with four of them, but they can't get in touch with number five or number five and number six, and this needs to be clear because talk. You can then talk about the speed with which sometimes you need to clear a song. Um, mm -hmm. And we were, we were talking about what if we can't get in touch with somebody and we have to do this really quickly? Have you ever been through that type of situation? Yeah, yeah, it can be very stressful when something like that's happening. Um, absolutely, whether it's you know an, someone that's not even with the publisher, it's an independent writer, and you know you're calling coffee shops or like you find you track down their sister and you're calling them and they're in Spain and all you're trying to do is just get someone to answer the phone and say yes this is okay that absolutely happens and it definitely happens with maybe like older catalog um, where things aren't as buttoned up and you know they they had someone in the room but that person never signed a publishing deal and so it's just their number that could that was old that's on the PROs um, that absolutely happens. You know, you, you also get a publisher that just isn't answering, um, or, you know, there could be time zone issues. It's, yeah, it can be very stressful. And, you know, what we do is, is try and get creative and try and get, you know, we'll work on our side. If a supervisor is having trouble, they'll usually tell all of us, and then we can kind of do what we can reach into what our network is. Maybe there's someone at my company that, you know, is really good friends with the person over there. Maybe they can get them to say some, to say yes, or maybe they have a relationship at Universal in, in Italy. Maybe a sub publisher of ours has a relationship at Universal in Italy, and we can ask them to put us in touch. We have to get creative, and it can, it, yeah. But but also a lot of deals die because of things like that too. Yeah. It's it's very heartbreaking when it happens, but it does happen. Do you um do you know what uh what sync tank is? Mm -hmm. Okay, I was I, I just found out about them. I mean I don't wanna like bug sync tank at the downtown interview or something, but um do you guys like use something like that or have you ever thought about going into like some sort of software that would make the process a lot more streamlined? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we actually have our own system uh, that we created internally. So we have our own platform where we upload our catalog and tag it with metadata that we that we find is helpful. Um, and that's also our pitch tool. And so when I'm creating a playlist of songs for an ad, you know, say Nike needs an ad for X amount of money um, and they're looking for a hip hop track that is dynamic and whatever, I'll, I'll put together a list of songs and kind of fill out the pitch of how much money it is, who I'm sending it to. Um, and then I send it through our platform and that's how we track basically the efforts of the creative team. Right. Let's do that tool. Yeah. And so we've, we have our own developer. We're constantly working on it. Um, we're always working to improve the metadata, maybe implement some AI to help us with the tagging. So it's not such an overhaul. Um, and there's less subjectivity, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard of sync tank. I know a lot of people that use it. Um, there's a lot of other platforms There's song space. There's disco. Um, we'll see if we end up, sourcing it out, but we've had our own system, I think since 2010, maybe even before that. Uh, so we're just constantly working on it ourselves, which can be a lot, but it's nice because we can tailor it to our specific needs. I remember when we had Joe Conyers on, it was probably three years ago. Um, okay. He was talking about, I'm trying to recollect, um, writing a lot of the original I don't know if he's a coder or what, but but uh, I don't know if it's what ended up becoming mm -hmm. trust. But a lot of your tech stuff, mm -hmm. like at his kitchen table, like coming up with what we should do this. Why don't we do this? Companies don't do this. We should do this, and then incorporating all that into your tech. And that was sort of the thing that was separating you from a lot of other traditional publishers. Uh, I'll name them. You don't have to like Universal Music Publishing. Whereas you guys were in the 21st century, in the 21st century, and not, you know. A, behind in the tech world the way some of the others may have been. Yeah, that's definitely, you know, that sounds like Joe. I walked into his office and there's always just all these scribbles and charts and it's kind of like a beautiful mind in there um, while he's kind of working out, you know, some sort of problem. And um, yeah, that, that was kind of the idea. We wanted our own platform so that we could, again, tailor it specifically to the needs of our team and not have to worry about a third party um, and just giving them feedback and when they get to it. Um, and then we also, just as a publisher, we've created our own dashboard um, to communicate with clients. We have so many developers at downtown, um, more so than a lot of other departments. Um, and we're also, you know, we're, we're kind of constantly trying to create our own copyright tools. And, and that's definitely something that's been Joe Connor's vision for a long time, as well as Justin Cliffwitz is let's create our own tech and be in charge of, of where we want to see the industry going, as opposed to waiting around for other companies to start updating. Okay. So yeah, you talked about metadata. So that, that definitely like is probably the biggest thing like that'll make everything easier for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you know, I've, because I've been at the company so long and with the catalog growing, I've definitely benefited from being able to learn the catalog in steps. Um, but, you know, we've, we've added people to our team as our catalog has grown, as our needs have grown, as we've opened up other offices. And metadata is so important for us to be able to find the songs that we need, um, whether it's what territory 
um, we represent that song in. So if someone from our French office is pitching music, he can confidently pitch the music that we represent in France. Um, also, just sorting by BPM is incredibly helpful, as you can imagine, when working on sync, because if something needs, to, if a song needs to work to moving picture, BPM is really gonna come in, in handy of figuring out and sorting out what's gonna work and what isn't. Um, genre of music, lyrics, lyrical searches, I do that all the time. Um, there might be a keyword that someone's looking for um, or some sort of sentiment. Um, so that's really helpful, uh, you know, a number of things, but it is really important for us to find what we need. And I definitely think there are a lot of places that are incorporating AI um, programs that, you know, kind of will listen to the, a reference song that someone might say and like, okay, I search your catalog and these fit based on some sort of sonic or criteria that that program has. Um, and that's definitely something we're looking into too, um, and just how to improve our own pitch tool. Cool. Um, what, what are some things that you look for in a, in a, in a good pitch like what do you because you pitch specifically right so like what are what do you think about what goes through your head when you want to pitch to someone so there's proactive and reactive pitching um if someone's giving me a specific brief so they're kind of telling me what they want they want what they want the song to be about it's for this specific brand um and it should be upbeat like about home and togetherness upbeat and it's for Amex or, or say, you know, um, that is always, that's very helpful information because I know what budget they have. And so that can, I can filter out our catalog based on that. Um, I can filter it out based on just working with the, that brand and knowing what they usually go for um, and kind of just sifting through and like what, songs in our catalog check off all the boxes that the supervisor's asking for. And I think that's really important is making sure it checks off all the boxes and you're not sending music that they're immediately gonna discount because it goes against something specifically that they needed. Um, as far as proactive pitching, it's really just, what, what I do is I look at what that client of mine has licensed in the past, what brands are currently working on, and what's the, the musical tone of voice of that brand. Um, and then also priorities that come in, you know, um, depending on what the music is. Like there's, there's always a client like Apple is always gonna want brand new music and they want music before it comes out. And so for me, that's really, it's like, okay, here's, we, we got this album ahead of time. It sounds like Apple could be interested. I'm gonna send that to them. Um, it all depends. It's really subjective, uh, but I think, I think also just for a publisher, because we get, we get our biggest licenses based off our hits, we're also, we're also constantly looking for refresh, like new covers or reimaginations of those songs. And so that's something that I've done a lot with our writers is having them cover songs in a new way um, for us to kind of try and find more current syncs for those hits too. It's, it's hard. It's hard to give you one specific answer. It, it comes in all different ways. Um, yeah. But I think, I think the best way to pitch music is always put yourself in the shoes of who you're pitching it to. And kind of take out what are really trying to take out your own point of view and what your priorities are, and think what do they need right now? What could they be licensing right now and send them that music and not anything else that's going to cloud what they could really use. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
what are some of the common places? I mean, obviously the common places that you do licenses for ads and TV and film. Do you see any like weird ones or new ones coming up in the future? Like, um, I don't know, I've heard of people licensing like just a lyric if they want, um, I don't know, if they want like a little girl to sing a lyric of this song in a commercial or something like that, like weird new stuff. Yeah, so uh, that specific example does happen a lot. And in that sense, you'd be licensing just the publishing of the song and you wouldn't license the master because someone's going to sing it. And we call that a visual vocal. And that will, that um, goes into how the pricing of the song as well. Um, as far as new mediums, podcasts, we're seeing a lot more. Um, we've had songs that have been licenses to themes of podcasts or um, some cues and things like that. Uh, TikTok is now finally um, having their, any branded content needs to actually license the music. That wasn't happening before. Um, it remains to be seen if influencers will be held to that same standard, but now a brand cannot put out a TikTok with a song without licensing it. So you mean like any sponsored ad that shows up on TikTok, like that has to be licensed? Yeah, so there's, TikTok, it's so new and, you know, we're, we're learning and we're recently working with them. And um, so anything user generated, no, right now, it's kind of similar to right, YouTube. Like if, if I post a YouTube of a makeup tutorial with a John Lennon song in the background, we will claim that YouTube video and say, hey, that's our song. So any monetization needs to go to us from that YouTube video. Um, the way TikTok works is if it's user-generated, so I do a TikTok dance to a John Lennon song. Right now, we don't have a way to monetize that, but if Hershey's wants to put out a branded video from their TikTok account using a John Lennon song to then encourage other people to join in, they have to license it, but all the, or they call it like organic, um, I, don't, I don't even know, it's, it's like organic pickup of the trend is not licensed, but their initial push out of that trend is, it's really but, confusing. But where you guys would get revenue, it would be, I guess, sort of a passive revenue in that um, TikTok is finally starting to pay the pros. So if um, that song was through ASCAP, for example, and it, it mm -hmm. up, um, yeah. you guys would get some of the money, you know, 50% of the perform, you know, yes. performance from ASCAP for that. You would not get the licensing revenue as if it was a sync, even though it technically, it technically is copyright infringement. Technically it is a sync, but, yeah. um, but yeah, that is yeah. a, a way you could generate revenue and it wouldn't be a lot of money. I know they're not giving yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, I mean, I think TikTok is great for promotional purposes of music and you know I'm a I love it I'm a TikTok user I think it's it's a really incredible way to see how people are interacting with music um, but it is such an important piece of the app and you can you basically track trends through the soundbite that they're using um, so we'll see I think there's work to be done and we're, we're definitely in the negotiations and, and advocating for our songwriters uh, to get more royalties and see more monetization from it. Um, but right now, the big win is that brands have to license the music and actually do a sync license. And we'll see where it goes from there. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I wanna talk a little bit more about how artists bring in money from this. So like, 
do do licenses represent like really good passive revenue? Like, will they collect that money for all time, or are a lot of them just flat rate? So uh, the big fee is the upfront fee, um, and they're going to get a percentage of that upfront fee based on the percentage that they wrote of the song, um, and then we'll take you know if if I brought in the opportunity, we'll take maybe a, a bigger slice of what that percentage is that then goes to them. If it's passive, then they get, you know, a, we take a smaller slice of that. So they get, the biggest chunk is the, the upfront fee, but there's performance royalties that come on the back end. So if, they're, if it's a TV commercial that's playing all the time for a year, they're gonna see a lot of performance royalties on the back end of that. So it just, if it's a TV show that's syndicated, they'll see a lot of performance. If they get, if they land a theme song and maybe the initial fee isn't as big, they might see if that TV show keeps getting picked up, they'll, they'll continue to see the royalties on the back end of it. So there's definitely a lot of room to continue to make money from a sync. Um, but what we try to always, we, we try to always negotiate for the best upfront fee as well. Right. It's a really case yeah. by case. Mm -hmm. thing it really depends on like the the sustainability yeah. of the you know the ad or the tv show episode whatever it is yeah. how long it's yeah. going to be okay but yeah. but even so if it's something like let's say um uh it was the theme to gray's anatomy going back 10 years ago how to save a by mm -hmm. fray the fray Frank. yes the oh that the was the fray, fray. It was the fray. No, it was the yeah fray. you're right <laughs> but so the cool thing is you guys are almost like planting seeds because let's say it does get in that TV show or that commercial, um, and we hear it a lot, hopefully now radio picks it up and that's where, and if it gets on one of those yeah. formats uh, where it's in rotation, like a 106.7 LTW where it's in rotation for mm -hmm. a year, again, that's a great way for you guys to get performance royalties for a long time and a decent amount. Yeah, absolutely. And that's also, you know, that radio pickup is, is a big thing about when we're pitching new singles um, where a new album's coming out and we might, you know, pitch something that we think is a good opportunity. We think the placement, whether we like the brand or the TV show, it aligns with who that artist is. Um, but we also might, you know, give a little bit of a break on the fee because we know that it's in that artist or that songwriter's best interest for that to happen because it might get picked up on radio or it'll be on radio a little bit longer. It'll get picked up for a second run. Um, so that absolutely happens. Yeah. So I guess I have a few left to close with. What, real quick, I just want to hear about like what's what's one of the best deals like you closed, like you personally, the one I don't know, something that you saw was really good. Um, whew, that's hard to to. I would say, um, as far as monetization, there um, Royal Caribbean. Uh, licensed a song from one of our artists, Mepai, um, called Million Ways to Live. And she's awesome. She was on, um, we've, we've represented her for since the like, very beginning of the company. And that was really exciting because it was a big TV campaign. It was one of my first big TV campaigns. I think, I think the first licenses was in 2016, if I'm remembering correctly. And they've just picked it up 
year after year in other territories, maybe not just in the US. And so as far as the, we call it like the gift that keeps on giving or the evergreen sync where the brand, it just, the song connected so perfectly with the visual and for what they wanted to communicate that it was hard for them to beat it for other, um, other smaller content or other TV runs. And so they just kept using that song. So I'd say that's definitely one that has been a big deal and, and um, it definitely strengthened my relationship with Royal Caribbean um, and, and the people that work at their agency. Uh, another one, as far as just there, there's a Shirley Bassey song, um, This Is My Life, that uh, was written by an Italian writer that we represent through this company, Kirchi. Uh, we represent them in the US and Canada and it's a beautiful song. It's a powerhouse and it's one of my favorite songs in the catalog. Um, and I landed it in a Sephora campaign that um, featured LGBTQ plus actors from all over the spectrum. And it was a really, really powerful ad about inclusion um, within, you know, the community, but also especially makeup. And that for me was a really big moment because I really believed in what the ad was saying and, and the content that it was pushing. And the song was so good. And it was this old, like it was this old Shirley Bassey song um, from an Italian writer. So I thought that was really cool because it felt like a, a gem that got dusted off and put like put forward in a really meaningful way. Cool, cool, very cool. What would you say that you guys are looking for in someone hoping to get into the sync department? Like, I guess you could talk about creative or marketing side. Like, what's, what sort of specific things do you look for? Yeah, so it can be such a roundabout way. Um, I think as far as the creative team, which we actually, creative and marketing are the same team, and then we have the administrative team okay, is, is the way we differentiate it. As far as the creative marketing team, our, our job is so heavily placed on our relationships is the most important thing that we can be doing. And so it's building those relationships and it can be kind of a hard industry to break into because it's one of those things where it's like, well, if you don't give me the opportunity to build in the relationships and I'm not in a position where I can, then how do I build those relationships? Um, but it can come from a roundabout way, whether you know, you're, you're starting at a small company that just needs more help. That's what happened with me. I was an assistant and we had a much smaller team. We were a team of four. And my boss really, my boss, Jed Katrancha and Jimmy Park just completely took me under their wing and started kind of handing me clients while I went out and was able to, um, work on those and learn from those and then go and create new relationships. Uh, that's definitely a way in. There's a lot of um, entry-level coordinator positions on sync teams that are kind of the people that, um, at least at our company, was like ingesting the music and tagging with metadata and, and helping build those playlists. Um, that's absolutely a way in. Um, also, from the other way, if you start doing administrative, you'll learn the quoting and you'll learn what songs are worth. And then with that knowledge, you can maybe move into the creative world. And because you're on the administrative team and you're working on these licenses, you do build your own relationships with the people that are clearing the music. Um, so that can be a window in as well. Um, it, it all depends. You know, I was working at venues and was freelance writing for blogs before 
I was able to get an entry-level position on the sync team. Uh, a, a colleague of mine who um, also works on ads on the East Coast with me, um, Caitlin Howard, she was working at a law firm before she made her way into music. So it can come from, you know, all different venues. I think it's what's the most important is just if you really want to work in the creative field, especially in sync, go to things, go to shows, go to any mixers, any, there's panels. Um, there's lots of panels. There's some uh, really like foundational mixers that happen every year. There's also more casual ones um, that are kind of driven by the sync community. Anything you find out about, just go to it and meet people. Mm -hmm. and be out and about um this is obviously hard to tell you during covid times but <laughs> after covid yeah. just be out and about and that's that's honestly how i was able to build my career it was just going to everything anytime downtown at a show or anytime anyone invited me to anything i went gotcha. for the first three years of my career and just met as many people as i could gotcha okay okay cool um yeah and i guess speaking about covid i just have one more thing um where do you do you see like sync really taking over and like digital revenue really pushing forward and gaining a lot more traction in the next, I don't know, like six months to a year? Do you see sync? Yeah, I think sync, you know, the slowdown we've seen in sync is more because of productions being halted. Um, and that's definitely TV has felt that, but you know, LA just opened up, um, TV productions, I think this week. So that will pick up. Um, as far as ads, you know, it definitely got a little slower, but there were a lot of ads that were using found footage or animation. There's a lot of workarounds with COVID. And I think what's lucky about Sync is it is consumed digitally for most, for the most part, you know, whether it's on TV, at, like ads, film, you know, people are still ingesting content and podcasts. Mm -hmm. And as far as like, if content is still being created, it's always going to need music and we will be there to license the music. Uh, it's really what, what we've seen the stall is more just because of production issues. But once that picks up again, then I think there's going to be even more opportunity because people are really ready to get to work and create more. Gotcha. Um, we're all content starved right now or overwhelmed. It depends. <laughs> In 60 seconds, can you explain how related to A&R you are? Because a, a student asked me today, said, I want to go into A&R. And I mentioned we were talking to you today and how you're not signing artists to a label, but you're still in A&R. Can you briefly kind of explain what you mean by that or what I mean by yeah. that? So, so we work very closely with our A&R team. Um, you know, our A&R team are the people that are signing the writers and setting up co-writing sessions. And they're really like hands on the ground with our current active roster, whereas we're working across the whole catalog, including non-active writers or estates. Um, but I would say, you know, we're constantly working with them when they're thinking to sign something, we look at it and we say whether or not we think we could sync it, um, whether it would work in this media type or in that. Um, when they're pushing singles to us, we can let them know if we think that we can find a placement for it. Um, there's that. And then we also, I, th I would say the closest thing we have just to it's not necessarily like A&R, but we do work with our writers to create music specifically for sync. And we work with our writers to create new masters of, um, of our existing catalog. And so that would be, you know, 
where we would kind of A&R the, the creation of new music or new masters. But we do have a completely separate A&R team that works as a more traditional publishing A&R. Yeah, we get a little taste of it. And we definitely do have some signings that we've signed because of sync, because we know that they will be good in sync. And that's something that we kind of take over that relationship. And it's not necessarily, it doesn't live with A&R because we sign them for our specific purposes. And I also mean, um, you're, you're the curation side of A&R. You know, a client mm -hmm. goes, we need this type of music beats per minute. Now you are going, mm -hmm. you're the A&R person, find, mining your catalog, finding the right song mm -hmm. they need. That's also what I meant. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like creating connections and matching this person's need with this person's need. Um, yeah. yeah, and we definitely have, you know, if an ad campaign is saying like, hey, for our new back to school campaign, we really wanna help break a song we're the ones saying, okay, this is our music that's coming out in September that makes sense with your brand. And then we can kind of create that connection. It's like, awesome. I want that new Republic single to be the new Jeep spot or something like that. Um, so yeah, yeah, there is, there's definitely, you know, I think, I think to be successful publishers, we need to be working for writers in all facets of the industry. And so, you know, with A&R, it's we're making sure our writers are in the room with producers or other writers and getting the cuts that they need um, or just getting the help that they need to finish a record. And then it's our job as, as sing people to help get as many eyes on that song as possible and to help, you know, push it to other mediums so that um, it can bring them more revenue to create more music, but also um, bring, bring them a step up in their career if enough people see it and it really connects. Well, Cabrea, you really connected with our listeners today, and we appreciate yeah. you spending Aww. this time on our radio yeah. show. And Tyler, thanks for pulling her aboard and making this happen. Absolutely, yeah. Cabrea. Thank you so much for coming. This was this yeah. was great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we learned a lot. <laughs> yes, very educational. So thank you, Cabrea. Dr. Stavon, thank you for being on the show with us today as oh, well. And certainly, you too, my colleague. Yeah, tried to bring my A-plus game for Cabrea to really impress her, make her love all Yes, you were unbelievable. <laughs> That's right. So uh, we should say goodbye to our listeners, but at the end of every show, we don't say goodbye, nor do we say hello. What do we say, Dr. Esteban? Avidusque. That's right. We say adios. <laughs> Than just friends who's in control.
control of the situation. You losing hope, I'm losing patience. 